Hello and a warm welcome to the Pomegranate Astrology Podcast. My name is Antoinette McKenzie and I'm a consulting astrologer and writer. You can find me and my services over on www.pomegranateastrology.com. Now, one of the services I offer is called Meeting the Bone Mother, which is all about Saturn in your chart, Saturn's transits, cycles, and how this affects you. Maybe you're experiencing a particularly potent Saturn transit yourself, such as a Saturn return, an opposition, or a square, or perhaps Saturn is resting on your sun or another personal planet. I can help you navigate your way through challenging Saturn transits and cycles, so do check out my website for that and for more. Now today I'm actually chatting about Saturn, particularly Saturn in Pisces. So though we're heading into a full moon in Aries on the 29th of September, and many astrologers are rightly focused on talking about this, I'd like to chat today about the moon passing through Pisces. As you may know, whenever the moon alights in the sign of the fishes, during her brief stay of two to three days, she also now meets with Saturn. Even though we're heading into the full moon, when the, full, when the moon passes by Saturn, that energy can feel most balsamic, dark and waning and heavy. Now Saturn's in Pisces for at least another two years or so, and it's currently retrograding back to the very earliest degrees of the fishes. In fact, as I record this, both Saturn and the moon are at one degree of Pisces. Now, Saturn's presence can quite dramatically change the core temperature, mood, and quality of a sign. Before it was in Pisces, Saturn was domiciled in Aquarius, because according to the old system that I follow, Saturn rules both Capricorn and Aquarius. In Aquarius, Saturn was crystalline, impeccable, immaculate. Saturn tends to dry things out, restrict, and add a dash of the blues. When Kronos plunged into the Piscean Ocean earlier this year in March, it was like dropping a dry, hardened sponge into water. The sponge expanded and soaked up the water as though seeking to drink up every drop, define and dictate the very shape of water, and then run it dry. But in limitless Pisces, Jupiter's sign, Saturn can only do so much. It can't can't wholly contain that ocean nor completely dry things out. I have a great and very hard-won fondness for Saturn. He's a major player in my own chart, but by its very nature, Saturn can be a downer. It represents not only our structures and foundations, but our fears, our worries and limitations in life. Saturn is strength, consolidation, respect, responsibility, discipline, wisdom, practicality and prudence. But Saturn is also effort, coldness, contraction and chronic conditions. It's a reality check that we can understandably be reluctant to embrace with enthusiasm. Now, about 18 months or more ago, I wrote something on Pisces and the association with Selkies, creatures of folk and fairy tales that populated the stories and myths of the Scottish Highlands on which I was raised. Selkies are the embodiment of yearning and liminality, the dissolution of boundaries between the wild self and the civilized. It's also could be seen as an energetic expression of Pisces and, in fact, Jupiter. I've been seeing more and more references since to Selkies and Mer creatures, very different and distinct primordial beings. And though I do digress, I might also add that mermaid imagery has proliferated on social media lately and has been conflated with maybe insta-water princesses, you know, those non-threatening and quite recessively, quote, feminine 
creatures that function purely on an aesthetic level can feel a little like a form of bikini-clad fascism. It's both highly camp but also excessively heteronormative. So I'm with Florence Welsh when she says all mermaids have teeth. Mermaids are hunters of hearts, of the nature of Venus and Mars. They're not just there to look pretty. Many of these mer-natured archetypes are threading themselves through the astrological and social media world now. And I do find that interesting, though, because there's clearly a collective resonance with this primordial archetype that's emerged and hooked into Piscean delineations. Selkies, though, are of a slightly different ilk, however, because though they're still mer-people, they're seal-skinned creatures. And like other merfolk, they're liminal, threshold beings embodying both the human and the fae. One is contained within the other. I grew up hearing tales of Selkies from my grandmother. Her people for millennia were coastal dwellers from the far northwest of Scotland. My grandmother spoke of the tales of shapeshifters who swam ashore, shedding their animal pelts and taking human form as they sunned themselves or rested on rocks. The darkness of these tales varied, and some of them are very dark indeed, but they're all versions of the animal bridegroom existing across many cultures in the world. Selkie sealskins were invariably stolen by would-be human lovers and devastating bargains would be struck. Selkies were promised the return of their sealskins only if they remained with, usually a human man, on land for a period of years in coerced domesticity, sometimes very willing domesticity. But nonetheless, they had to leave or sacrifice a part of themselves. Often selkies would bear human children, and be further bound to the land by their love for a child, their wild self hungering and desiccating with the years. Others sold and ailing as they tended to their human duties, their spirits dwelt in a twilight elsewhere until they recovered their lost pelts and escaped. This abandoning of the creaturely fluid animal self might be akin to the nature of Saturn at the very end of Aquarius, where we may have put aside our individual needs and desires for the greater good for quite a solid chunk of time. It can feel like an exile, however willingly chosen. Slipping back into their wild skins was an ecstatic homecoming for the Selkie, after which they disappeared into the ocean from whence they came. Selkie myths, like Pisces, depict the yearning for different worlds. One, the pull towards human love, desire and landlight, the other an irresistible yearning towards infinite depths and a formless freedom embodied in sublime union with the wild self. This is one of many mythic expressions of Saturn and Pisces, a melancholic figure compelled by her nature to make an impossible choice, turning her back upon all she loves on land and yearning to return to the depths of her original ocean home something she can only do alone. Now Saturn in early Pisces feels very much like the mythical Selkie who long ago left the boundless freedom of the ocean and its ecstatic embrace. This is not the Venus or Jupiter in Pisces where there's an abundance of hope and fecundity. 
the selkies here swim freely in their elements, sleek and sensual with the music of the sea. And when Jupiter was in Pisces, even as late as December 2022, every month when the moon passed through Pisces, we may have felt a certain amount of buoyancy and respite from the more relentless of life's challenges. We may have been able to relax more easily into pleasure, into the body and and into compassion. Pisces is the exaltation of Venus and the presence of a benefic tends to heighten those qualities. With Saturn in Pisces, we're left with a sense of longing, of love lost as ineffable or hard to articulate as that might be, something left behind. And the moon's presence there can make this a tender, sore, haunting spot in the lunar month. The selkie feels withered and desiccated from a life too long spent on shore without her plush, well-oiled pelt. So Saturn in Pisces is the figure that's now compelled by her nature to make an impossible choice, to turn her back upon all she loves and knows on land and return to the depths of her original ocean home. Whatever rewards Saturn's lessons offer us, it is a malefic. So since Saturn entered Pisces this year, we've seen a number of events around shipwrecks, accidents at sea and water pollution. Saturn's lead and astringency is now lurking in one of the deepest, most mysterious zones of the Zodiac, where there's a seemingly impenetrable darkness. Astrologer Austin Kopok describes the first decan of Pisces as a labyrinth that holds within its secret heart a wisdom we did not expect. It's a place of poetry and mysticism, and Saturn here can produce great art of lasting value. So, throughout these brief days when the moon, representing our body, our emotions, how we give and receive nurturing and emotional security, when the moon passes through Saturn's lonely degrees in Pisces, we may feel that heaviness upon us. Saturn is a malefic after all, and so those who have significant Pisces placements may feel this more acutely. But so too those with placements in the mutable signs of Gemini and Virgo and Sagittarius. During this period, it can be helpful to allow this to pass through us, observing any melancholy rather than being swept too far out to sea in all of it. Allow the dark wine to flow through the water of us without drowning, knowing that it will indeed pass. Allow for any grief or feelings of loss to arise without judgment. Dream and contemplate deeply, but create a container. Remain tethered to the upper world. Pisces is a powerfully healing sign, precisely because of its compassionate and intuitive somatic wisdom. There's the ability to express and release grief, to allow an outlet for tears without judgment. And according to the Harvard Medical School health blog, Tears can release powerful chemicals such as oxytocin and endorphins. Tears have been shown to release stress hormones and emotional pain. It's a detoxification process. Now, Neptune is also co-present with Saturn, but in the later degrees of Pisces, so they're quite far apart at opposite ends of the Pisces spectrum. But it's still a bit like installing an ocean fog machine with Neptune. It's atmospheric and enchanting, but it can conceal obstacles and rocky outcrops. It doesn't make for great visibility with things. We can't always make sense of stuff. 
Neptune doesn't like solid shapes or distinctions between things, and it prefers blind faith. Saturn, however, is not unhappy in Pisces. Saturn is slow-moving. It structures things profoundly over time. Pisces, though a mutable sign and changeable, isn't one to be rushed. Pisces seeks communion and contains the ancestral memory of water, somatic knowledge and healing faculties that are mysterious, ineffable and dream-speaking. Saturn stations direct on the 4th of November 2023, that's Australian times, at, at zero degrees of Pisces. So as it's moved back through those early degrees, we're given an opportunity to examine those deep-sea gifts that Saturn's choppy waters have been offering up. With the opportunity to explore depths and map imaginative, creative and spiritual or otherworldly channels we may not usually have access to, particularly with fixed star Fomalo close by in the early degrees of Pisces. Saturn may not be fun, <laughs> but the deep sea exploring can be rewarding, even as we dive into fathomless pelagic depths, discovering the old skeletons of our griefs, our fears and failures on that benighted ocean floor. All of its treasure to Pisces and its oceanic impulse for formlessness and union. Pisces embraces all the magical materia, not only the gold and pearls and coral, but with Saturn present, we can collect the detritus of bones, broken shells, the wreckage, as well as the krakens and monstrous images of our imagination. Saturn adds pressure and a dose of the bends, but it also can mould something of substance that will stand the test of time, because that's what Saturn wants to do. But it requires our efforts, our patience. The greatest rewards often do. The last full moon we had was in Pisces, highly susceptible to all of the above as it conjoined with Saturn and crossed that fixed star Fomalo. Personally, it conjoined my own I see, a particularly hidden and unconscious area of the chart. The IC is a place so deep, so rooted in ancestry in the unconscious, that however far we sense that taproot goes, it's hard to access and fully know. It's a deeply private space that's also connected to ancestral experience beyond our conscious awareness. The IC also represents the end of life, the place after death, a place of return. On that night of the full moon in Pisces, I dreamed of a one-eyed god and a soft, moon-faced cow. In this dream I was a crone, hobbled and gentled by the years, living alone. My home was a tiny white stone cottage with a flower-filled garden, and with me lived that moon-faced cow with crescent horns atop her head, luminous and shining like moonstones. Her udders were round and full of creamy milk. Her eyes were chocolate velvet, tender and full of patient knowings. In that dream, I loved her more than any creature. I loved her as though she was my daughter and my mother too. The moon-eyed cow gazed at me with such sorrow and love, whilst that one-eyed god, implacable, cold and distant as a god, sold my home for mere pennies. To who knows who. He held those pennies in his palm and bid me leave my home. I had nowhere to go. I was homeless, stateless and exiled. The grief that I felt split me into two crones 
as I was forced to leave the land I belonged to, and the other me remained disembodied, a haunting of loss itself. I keened for my beautiful moon-faced cow, who I would never see again. I wept for the lost land that had claimed me from birth and before that, and when I woke from that dream I cried again, and I cried the whole day with a grief that unravelled me completely and which overtook my body for the next few weeks with a respiratory illness. Now, the astrology did not cause the illness, by the way, but it left me with a dream that has tattooed itself indelibly on my heart and mind. Whoever I met in that dream, and later it came to me that it was possibly the ancient Egyptian deities Horus and Hathor, and maybe myself too as an ancestor, real or imagined. Certainly there was my own very personal and ancestral griefs and losses woven through that dream, but the mystery requires no answer or analysis. I've no taste myself for dream interpretations. A dream is its own otherworldly being. To dissect it feels like a betrayal of sorts, like killing, skinning and gutting a warm, pelted wild creature that's curled up to sleep beside you offering its rare and fragile trust. I describe to you that dream because it's such a Saturn moon experience in Pisces, and the presence of my IC only made it more potent and particular. We may be able to more easily access vast reservoirs of grief and imagination and perhaps allow them the space during these days when the moon visits Saturn and Pisces. Providing this realm with a container to hold and then release our yearning and grief. With Saturn baked into Piscean lunations for two and a half years, we'll be drinking more deeply of these waters for some time, and this is where we dive for those shipwrecks. By the end of Saturn's time in Pisces, we may be surprised by what we've gleaned, and in the wider culture, we may notice some extraordinary art and music being made during this period. Now, I'm going to leave you with a poem by Adrian Rich called Diving into the Wreck. You may know it. It's quite a famous poem and now it's more than probably 50 years old because it's been written, I think it was written about 1971, 72. I find it still really powerful. It's about lost histories and stories, particularly those of women, but it also feels to me like the flavour and tone of Saturn and Pisces. First, Having read the book of myths and loaded the camera, and checked the edge of the knife blade, I put on the body armour of black rubber, the absurd flippers, the grave and awkward mask. I'm having to do this, not like Cousteau with his assiduous team aboard the sun-flooded schooner, but here alone. There is a ladder. The ladder is always there, hanging innocently close to the side of the schooner, We know what it is for, we who have used it. Otherwise, it is a piece of maritime floss, some sundry equipment. I go down, rung after rung, and still the oxygen immerses me, the blue light, the clear atoms of our human air. I go down. My flippers cripple me. I crawl like an insect down the ladder, and there is no one to tell me when the ocean will begin. First the air is blue, And then it is bluer, and then green, and then black. I am blacking out, and yet my mask is powerful. It pumps my blood with power. The sea is another story. 
The sea is not a question of power. I have to learn alone to turn my body without force in the deep element. And now it is easy to forget what I came for among so many who have always lived here, swaying their crenellated fans between the reefs, and besides, you breathe differently down here. I came to explore the wreck. The words are purposes. The words are maps. I came to see the damage that was done and the treasures that prevail. I stroke the beam of my lamp, slowly along the flank of something more permanent than fish or weed. The thing I came for, the wreck and not the story of the wreck, the thing itself and not the myth, the drowned face always staring toward the sun, the evidence of damage worn by salt and sway into this threadbare beauty, the ribs of the disaster curving their assertion among the tentative haunters. This is the place, and I am here. The mermaid whose dark hair streams black, the merman in his armoured body. We circle silently about the wreck. We dive into the hold. I am she, I am he. Whose drowned face sleeps with open eyes, whose breasts still bear the stress, whose silver copper verme cargo lies, obscurely inside barrels, half wedged and left to rot. We are the half-destroyed instruments that once held to a course the water-eaten log, the fouled compass. We are, I am, you are, by cowardice or courage, the one who find our way back to this scene, carrying a knife, a camera, a book of myths, in which our names do not appear. Thank you for listening to the Pomegranate Astrology Podcast. I'm your host, Antoinette McKenzie, from pomegranateastrology.com, And until next time, I send you my warmest wishes and may you have a safe and happy full moon.